Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 189. The Fun Ideas Podcast is brought to you in part by Freaky Magazine. Hey kids, have you read Freaky? The magazine of weird humor for freaks like you. Freaky Magazine is a way out collection of weirdo comics, kooky gags, photo funnies, social satire, and surreal collage. 52 pages of insanity in the tradition of magazines of yore like Cracked, Plop, and Zap. Special offer for Fun Ideas listeners. Get a free sample copy in the mail. Made of smelly newsprint and smudgy ink the old-fashioned way. Just message your mailing address to theslowpoisoner at gmail.com. That's theslowpoisoner at gmail.com while supplies last. Until now, it's Mark Arlo's latest book called Pac-Man, the first animated show based upon a video game. This book tells the story of Pac-Man phenomenon and goes through the entire history of the Hanna-Barbera Animation Studios, the history of the video game, pre-Pac-Man, the history of Pac-Man, the character, the video game, the spin-off, the merchandise, and the animated TV series. Each and every episode of the classic 1980 series is covered and examined. Plus, Mark Arlen covers how Pac-Man has been honored on various anniversaries, including the 40th anniversary in 2021. A fun read for casual and hardcore Pac-Man and video game fans alike, featuring many character model sheets and other images. Available online through Bear Manor Media, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble. Get your copy today. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store. Based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics was named as one of the 21 best online dealers by PopOptique.com. To shop the Lee's Comics eBay store, go to eBay and search for Lee's Comics, Inc. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast when you order, and you'll receive a free bonus gift. As the pandemic is now lifting somewhat, I am making more personal appearances at shows in Oregon and California. Check my Facebook page as to where I might be next, usually working with Lee's Comics. I'm getting closer to finishing my Mad and my Turtles books. Another Monkeys book is on the horizon, as well as a book about TV animation studios. And look for more articles from me in Back Issue, Alter Ego, and Hogan's Alley, and various guest appearances on other podcasts, including those by Ed Rising, Hudson Ranney, Dennis Ball, Phil Hall, and others. My Pac-Man book is my latest release. 
Look for my Disney book and my Warren Kremer book coming soon. On today's show, we have a writer here to discuss his book on Barney Miller called Barney Miller and the Files of the Old One Two. Here he is, Otto Bruno. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to another episode of Fun Ideas Podcast. And on today's episode, we have an author who's written a book about the history of Barney Miller, starring Hal Linden. And his name is Otto Bruno. How are you today, sir? Great, Mark. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing really well. Um, I guess the inevitable question <laughs> to ask is why Barney Miller? In fact, your book <laughs> says that. I was looking through it, uh, and it says why Barney Miller. So uh, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, why Barney Miller? Well, uh, there's a few reasons, as you if you noted in the book. Um, basically, it started because I was always a huge Barney Miller fan, and I have a friend who. Uh, whenever he and I get together for lunch or dinner or whatever, and we we start talking about pop culture and mm-hmm. films and TV and things like that. And I would always talk, you know, I'd always fit Barney Miller into the discussion somewhere. <laughs> and he got to the point where he said, well, you should write the book on it. I said, oh, yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. And I had been doing some freelance writing at that point, but I had never even contemplated writing a book. <laughs> and he kept bugging me for years. <laughs> and um, and uh, there was a period of time there where uh, I and my siblings uh, took care of our mother. She was sick for a couple of years before she passed. And then after she passed away, I had, you know, free time. And I, I kind of stumbled on because I had bought books from Bear Manor. Mm-hmm. And I kind of stumbled onto their site. And I said, oh, what the heck, I'll, I'll send a proposal in. Mm-hmm. And I did, and he was all excited about it. So then before I knew what I had done, I had <laughs> I had signed a contract saying that all of a sudden, with literally nothing written, I had to come up with this book. And as I started researching and talking to people, uh some of my reasons I noticed were some of other people's reasons for for their interest in it. The one thing that I found really interesting was so many people, and Max Gale was the person who really confirmed this for me originally. He, he told me, he said, you know how many people have come up to me over the years and said, oh, I used to watch that show with my father. Mm-hmm. Because I write in the book that uh, my father and I started watching the show together. I remember watching the premiere with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, then my dad got sick and died on the last episode, the day of the last episode of season two. Oh, okay. I thought you meant the last episode ever. I was like, whoa. No, no, no. <laughs> it was the last episode of season two. My father had, uh, had had lung cancer and he passed away that afternoon. Mm-hmm. And um, and Max was saying, he goes, you know, it's funny when I first started talking to Max, he says, it's funny how many people over the years have said to me, that this show, this show was a connection for them with their dad. And then as time went on and I interviewed a lot of people, particularly the actors and actresses and stuff, and a lot of people thought of it as a, as a man's show, which I never did. I thought of it as a funny show. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Um, but, uh, you know, Danny Arnold, who was the creator and producer, 
uh, and the writers of the show, they did seem, for example, although they kept trying throughout the entirety of the series, they did seem to have trouble settling on keeping a, a regular female cop in the squad room. Right. The closest they came was in uh, the early, the first two seasons with Linda Lavin, and then she left because she got her own show. Mm-hmm. Alice, yeah. <laughs> so, but um, yeah, it was, so it was, in part, it was because of my father. Another big part for me was I felt of all the great sitcoms of the 1970s, like All in the Family and Mary Tyler Moore and MASH and things like that. Uh, I felt personally that Barney Miller was just as good as any of those shows <laughs> and for whatever reason was not remembered as well as the <laughs> other shows. Uh, again, through the research, I found out that maybe some of that had to do with the fact that Danny's was a small independent company that produced it. So, for example, they never had the the money and the weight behind them when it came to Emmy time right? Uh, that the other shows did. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, that always kind of bugged me that they <laughs> didn't have the same respect, particularly since I thought All in the Family and MASH, for me personally, um, went off the rails near the end of their series to the point where they weren't comedies anymore. They were dramedies. Mm-hmm. And um, which is fine, but you know, Barney for me was a show that was able to keep the humor, address serious issues, but always be funny, always yep. be funny. Uh, and of course, Danny pulled Barney after season eight mm-hmm. voluntarily, he was never canceled, mm. he, he just took it off the air because mm. he said he can't come up with any more original ideas, it's too hard. Mm. <laughs> So you're answering you questions I had because it. I was kind of curious about that myself. But um, one thing I, you know, just you could compare it to other uh, ensemble shows like that. I mean, and uh, in, in comparison to MASH, let's use that as the example. I mean, there's quite a few cast changes, but it seems like Barney Miller pulled it off a little bit better, you know, sometimes. You know, it's like MASH has some characters that the original character was better. And sometimes the later character is better, but it's like it never was like a consistent all around good cast, seemingly, you know, that's how right. I kind of felt about it. Well, of course, MASH, <laughs> MASH is, I mean, we all know, we've all talked about this before. You've got this two year police action that went on for 11 years on television. Right. <laughs> So that you had Alan Alda literally age 11 years before your eyes. Yeah. And they didn't really do anything to make him look younger yeah. as time went on. Yeah. So that always kind of bothered me. Yeah, the cast changes for Barney, of course, um, many were not uh, were not planned. Like Jack Sue died so, uh, at yeah. the beginning of season five. Mm-hmm. So um, unfortunately, they lost him right in the middle of the run. Mm-hmm. Abe Goda, as I mentioned in the book, uh, Abe Goda, who was the unlikeliest of, of you know, stars to come out of this show, but he was the kind of breakout star in this show. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, from some of the people I with whom I spoke, 
you know, I think it went a little bit to his head. And because he he came to Danny Arnold at the before they started season two. Mm. Now that keep in mind they had only been on for 13 episodes because the first season was a half a season. Right. Before season two, he came to Danny and said, uh, I think we should change the name of the show to Barney and Fish. Oh wow. <laughs> That and story Danny, I didn't know. <laughs> and Danny was having numbers. <laughs> Excuse me. So um, so when Abe left, even though Danny did produce his show, Fish, the spinoff, um, there was there was not a a lot of love loss between them when they split at that point in time. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean they Danny uh Gregory Sierra left because he I think he had been promised his own show. I couldn't confirm this, but from what a couple of people told me, it sounded like you probably remember he was on Chico on the Man. Right. For- but I, I think he got a series before that. I don't know when he left Barney Miller, but I thought he had a show called On the Rocks, too. You know, it was it was very short lived. I don't remember him being in On the Rocks. I thought I'm he was. Up. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but you know, I, I I'm doing this all from memory, so I'd have to look it up. But, right. Yeah. On the <laughs> anyway. Rocks was Reinhold Wig- Wiggy's first show oh i didn't know that yeah <laughs> i just know him from night court you know in exactly. that case, you know, which... and everybody thinks oh that's the show he left to produce but it wasn't the first no i know that did. but i mean you know that's the only one i know him for, from or for oh, right. or whatever you know other than being a writer for barney miller but you know it's like you know his own show that's what i meant um, right. while you're looking that up let me ask you a couple of questions you can probably answer them while you're looking for something yeah. up is so um talking about it being an all-male cast and everything like that um and then you mentioned like the only kind of previous uh police shows might be andy griffith's show and car 54 and definitely car 54 maybe less so andy griffith because there's a b and stuff you know all male cast you know but then when you go into like the service comedies gomer pyle mikhail's navy (laughs) um phil silver show all male cast you know very you know so i kind of chalked it up all to that i don't know uh if you were kind of thinking that way but i i did start watching it with my dad as well but it was just because my dad seemed to know what was going on it wasn't like i was sitting down and oh, I have to spend this quality time with my dad and watch this. Well, well, yeah, right. It's just like, oh, he's watching Sanford and Son now. Okay, I'll watch it too. Oh, he's watching All in the Family now. Okay, I'll watch it too. He's watching Bob Newhart, Mary Tyler Moore. Okay, I'll watch it too. Oh, Barney Miller? I don't know about that. Oh, I'll watch it too, you know. But if he wasn't around, I still watched it. So it's like, you know, he turned me on to these things. That's probably the best analogy, you know. Right. I mean, I, I write in the book that, you know, a lot of times you read these Uh, memoirs of people or whatever and they'll say oh the only way that I was able to relate to my dad was through sports was through baseball or football or whatever well my father as I write in the book could not possibly have cared less about sports than he did he just was not interested in sports but he loved movies yeah and and you, you know like you say every father of that you know my dad came home at six o'clock at night. We had dinner and then he went in the family room to read the paper and watch television. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and I love television. So that's what we shared. You know, we sat down and watched television together and we'd go to the movies together. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, you're right. I absolutely, I would have been watching, I would have been watching stuff anyway. I was, uh, I was a very late child. 
And I always liked being around the grownups. So, you know, I get, you know, I listen now to all these different um, uh, podcasts and I know you're a comic book guy. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of you guys out there who were big, big in the comic book. Now, you're the one who I'm going to have to really start listening to your shows because <laughs> you actually write about the, the comics I actually read. Uh-huh. I read the Harvey yeah. comics and the Archie comics. Yeah. And, you know, I had Pink Panther comic books. I had all that stuff. I was not a superhero guy. Yeah. Um, I was a superhero guy to for a limited amount of time, you know, basically when I was a kid. And then, you know, that was what I grew out of. And also they got darker and grittier and all that stuff. Right. So I always for me, and that's my connection to my dad to bring it back to that as well. It's always comedy. My dad and I have very similar tastes in comedy, no matter what it is. Um, about where we draw the line is I tend to gravitate sometimes to really dirty stuff. And he's kind of a little more prudish there saying yeah it's not funny it's just dirty you know it's like (laughs) hey if it's funny it's funny but you know i get it you know it's like he wants to keep it clean you know so you know it's like as much as possible um probably the dirtiest he got is you know he introduced me to monty python's flying circus and uh uh saturday night live the other original and stuff like that and sctv and stuff so those type of shows you know they could kind of veer into bad taste sometimes but you know it's like you could kind of handle it more than you know just outright filth and crudity you know well my guess my guess would be that my parents were probably older than your parents um, uh, oh, probably. My, I, I had probably the youngest, especially my mom. Uh, everybody's parents when I was a kid were like in their 50s, like kid and teenager and stuff. Yeah. And I remember once I was in high school and I said, oh, my mom's 39 years old. 39? <laughs> She's a baby. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, anyway. When I, when I started high school, my mother was 55. Oh, wow. Yeah. So... <laughs> that's what most of the people i went to school with you know is like their 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 parents so at this point my mom should be alive but she died at 65 so she would have been uh 75 now but uh wait am i right no uh 79 now uh so but my dad he's still around and he's 84 and um but you know all my friends that i went to high school with all their parents are long gone they died 20 years ago you know and it's like yeah. wow you know. if my if my mother was alive she would have turned 100 this year oh wow <laughs> oh so yeah you were like and, and, and i looked you up i'm only two years older than you yeah yeah so, <laughs> yeah. so, so. Um, yeah so it was i so i always say like i, I listen to these podcasts now and i feel kind of left out because I, I collected, I read comic books, but wasn't big into that. And the thing that I feel left out of is that there's so many guys who identify themselves as monster kids. <laughs> you know, they loved all the old monster movies and sci-fi. And I was, I say people, you know, when I was 10 or 12 years old, I knew who Georgie Jessel was. And, <laughs> and I was listening to, you know, Jack Benny and Jimmy Durante yeah. because those were my parents yeah you know those are the people they knew yeah 
Well, I got into radio too, old time radio, because of my dad, because, you know, it's funny, you know, people go, when I grew up, there wasn't any VCRs, you know, and everything like that. It's like, well, when my dad grew up, there wasn't TV, you know, <laughs> think about that, you know, it's yeah, like, right. you know, or I, I was here when the, uh, the this certain video game came out. Hey, they weren't video games when I was a kid, you know, maybe Pong, right. you know, it's like, yeah. you know, so it's exactly. just weird that way. But um, what was I going to ask you? Um, well, I, I will say this about the focus of this podcast. I mean, it's anything and everything. I mean, but usually the main topics are comic books, animation, music, TV, and movies. And typically it's and not all exclusive or inclusive. It's like covering like the years like 1930 to 1990 is like my sweet spot. Now, if somebody comes in here and they have been on here before with a brand new subject matter and book and they're really, you know, I, I am happy to have people that are really, uh, fanatical about something you know that i can at least kind of talk about with them you know even if it's something i don't even know about you know like uh like an example game of thrones let's say i'm not a big game of thrones fan i've never seen an episode but a friend of mine if i ever had him on here he could he's seen all the episodes and he's always saying you gotta watch it you know and it's like well right. you come on the show and talk about it and i'll i'll i'll, I'll ask you questions i'll figure it out you know but right. you know but like i watch i watch a, I, I i watch some new stuff but not a yeah. lot. I mean, yeah. I want. I mean, there's still so many great. I remember it's funny now. I think I. It, I think it's ridiculous when I think about it now. But ten or fifteen years ago, I remember worrying about the fact that oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna have seen all these classic movies and then I'm not gonna have anything left to to watch and be surprised by. And of course, now with the internet opening up and and yeah. you know there's so much out there. I'm like oh my god, I never. And it, you know a lot of like for example. A lot of the old um, B movie series that I didn't see or know anything about as a kid, like the Lone Wolf series or uh, Crime Doctor or stuff like that, Porky Blaine. I mean, all those um, so I, I, yeah, any old movies, any television, I just uh, I, I always have told my children. Um, everything I needed to know, I learned from television. <laughs> you know? now, where dad, did you where did you grow up? I, just I grew up in Rochester, New York. And, and for better where are you or worse, na- where are you now? For better or worse, that's still where I oh, am. Okay, all right, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> On the south shore of Lake Ontario. Uh, okay, Ontario. all right. So I just kind of need that just for a gauge of you know what kind of stuff you were exposed to because you know i've talked to people from the east coast before and uh i'm i i'm total california boy but i'm in oregon now so i'm west coast ish and uh but what i've noticed over the years talking with people about classic tv and stuff like that is like a lot of the new york based shows they played here but they didn't play them ad nauseum endlessly you know it's like yeah we got our honeymooners but then it kind of went away whereas it's like i think it was around the clock 24 7 for like 30 years in new york classic 39 something like that or you know odd couple you know it's like it played here you know it was on you know and i liked it you know know, um there's a couple other shows like that i think bilko was one you know and it's like you know just you know the like i always say that when i grew up it's like uh black and white tv except for maybe i love lucy was pretty much verboten i mean 
Um, I don't know if you remember that, but it's like, you know, they didn't even go so far, which really annoyed me as TV shows that had that one or two seasons that were in black and white, uh, like Gilligan's Island or I Dream of Genie. You'd never see the black and white episodes. It's funny. (laughs) Yeah, I don't remember seeing the black and white episodes of Gilligan, I Dream of Genie or Bewitched when I was a little kid and they were showing them in repeats all the time. Yeah. I remember that they used to show, um, uh, I mean, obviously they showed I Love Lucy, but they also showed, do you remember the second one, the Lucy show? Yeah. Just Vivian Vance? Yeah. And like, and like there was a few years where those were all black and white. I remember they showed those all the time, maybe because it was Lucy. So they figured, you know. Well, I didn't see those. Uh, They only showed the color ones. So it's said Vivian Vance is on this show? seems like she's like on there once a season and well it's because i've seen the color ones it's just like andy griffith's show for years they'd say oh that don Knotts, he's a you know he's whatever he's priceless you know he's so funny it's like he's only on there a couple times because i was only seeing the color ones you know know? (laughs) they showed us all of the no uh, they never they didn't like black and white in california wow it's like you know uh you know, no, like I said, you know, it's like it's so whenever they did, if it was like um, and it would always be like on a some lousy UHF station that would play like the black and white Gilligan's Islands. And so I'd be there with the rabbit ears trying to get it in. It's an episode I've never seen, you know, <laughs> and yeah. now with DVD, I've seen them all dozens of times. And it's like, I don't care anymore, you know, or whatever. You know what right. I mean? It's like, uh, you know, but it's just how things changed over the years on how we right. do these things. That's interesting <laughs> that they wouldn't show those specifically in California. Cause we saw all the, we saw Dick Van Dyke. We saw Andy Griffith. Those were all, I mean, all the black Dick and Van white. Van Dyke they would show. I, I, I think it had to do with the entire series of black and white. They would tend to show it, you know, if it was a show that, but if it was a show that switched to color halfway through or after the first wow. season, it's like, they just didn't show those black and white ones i've never met a single human being who ever said oh those last three years of andy griffith are just as good as those first (laughs) (laughs) well i didn't know any better you know i just said oh i always liked andy griffith as an actor you know i mean he was on other things he's in movies he's narrated tv specials and blah 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 he has his own variety show whatever and so you know or variety specials at least and so so i just liked him you know, right. and then over time, I found out, wow, he's a stand-up comedian. I didn't know that. And then over time, oh, he could sing. Oh, I didn't know that. You know, so I learned that, oh, he, he can act. And actually, you know, some of his movies are a little, you know, like facing the crowd. And it's like, oh, right. I didn't know that. You know, it's like, you know, so over time, you learn more about him and stuff like that. But as a kid, yeah, they just played the, the last seasons of Andy Griffith's show, the first seasons of Mayberry RFD, and uh, maybe you know whatever he was doing you know like headmaster or whatever the show's oh, new, yeah. new andy griffith show i'd see all those when they were new oh, you know and i haven't seen them since they're probably not very good but you know i, I liked him as an actor so i always you know even at the le- later years post matlock like he was in a movie called waitress and i go hey andy griffith there he is again you know and stuff like that yeah. you know so 
So you didn't know all the great stuff you were missing from those first five years. Right. And I, I just, and then I heard, and then I figured it out. Oh, Don Knotts was only on the first five seasons because he left for a movie career. And I'd seen all those movies. Um, right. So, uh, and I said, you know, how do we, how do you see these things? Fortunately, Nick at night kind of came to the rescue at first. And then they slowly started partially because of public domain and stuff, you know, issuing some of those on video cassette and stuff like that. And I go, ah, now I see what they're talking about because I, you know, like you, you know, it's like you're saying the last seasons are pretty lame on, you know, (laughs) you know, it's like, if the first ones are like the last ones, I mean, I knew Don Knotts from his movies and three's company and everything else. So I thought, okay, he better really brighten it up here. But he was yeah. never better than on those first five seasons of Andy. Using those episodes, and then we could somehow wean back to <laughs> Barney Miller. But anyway, <laughs> um, my favorite one is when uh, he's in the choir and he thinks he can sing really well, and they keep placing him in different spots and everything like that. First time I saw that one, I was just rolling on the floor. I thought that was great. You know, then were they were they um, uh, finally hook, have the guy behind? Yeah, they have certain- some. Deep, that deep tenor gate. guy and he's like, yeah. oh, no. <laughs> and, right. and when Barney goes <laughs> he sings along mouths it along anyway right. but he's like not expecting that low and then <laughs> resonating Andy voice him, and he keeps telling him the microphone so powerful that gotta be real 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 quiet <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then you see Andy and everybody else winking up <laughs> you know because it worked with their silly plan yeah. you know but it was funny so it worked you know right. yeah. so that's the type of stuff I like uh, <laughs> um I, lo- I mean I, lo- I was always a huge Andy Griffith mm-hmm. Andy Griffith Dick Van Dyke mm-hmm. uh Barney Miller um Mary Tyler Moore I mean I think those are probably my top four sitcoms of all time in ter- especially in terms of you know writing now I do love you mentioned uh Bilko earlier I loved Phil oh. Silk so I really enjoyed Bilko yeah strangely enough I did not see Bilko I, I might have seen an episode or two here or there but I mean seriously seen all the episodes until probably about two or three years ago because i bought the dvds about 10 years ago but right you're right because they didn't show that that much here either no and it's kind of funny there's a huge following of that in in england and great britain and stuff like that yeah (laughs) and it's just because uh phil silver's filled in for sid james on a carry-on film you know and so suddenly he, he became a major celebrity because they go, hey, this guy's kind of funny. Oh, he did a sitcom in the past. Let's show that. You know? Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, it's called uh, Hold That Camel or something like that. I, I might have the title <laughs> slight, slightly wrong. And he plays the Sid James part because I think Sid James had a heart attack or something like that. Oh, so, okay. And he's in most of the other carrying on films until he passed right. away. But yeah. Um, but it's just odd to see Phil Silvers in a British comedy that's kind of. I know that he has a huge, huge. <laughs> following over there yeah mm-hmm. yeah no i loved i loved him um but yeah i mean i wrote in the book about i mean i put i put andy griffith in there just because in terms of of a comedic look at law enforcement yeah uh, before barney the only two that i could re- i mean that were well known was andy griffith and car 54 yeah car 54 um, is another i never saw as a kid 
I knew about it because there's comic books since we're talking about comic right. books. And I say, why can't you see this? Because I, I, I liked Fred Gwynn. I didn't love him on, on the Munsters. I was not as huge of a Munsters fan, but, you know, I'd watch it. And I right. said, I want to see him without his makeup on the other show. And then Joe E. Ross used to do cartoon voices later <laughs> on. And I said, I want to see him on a TV show. Um, they never played It's About Time anymore, even though that one, you know, right. was in color, strangely enough. Again, a show just like Car 54, just like Bilko. I've only seen him in the, like the last five years. <laughs> it's right. like, you Is know. that the one with Imogene Colca? Yeah, and they're cavemen, and ha- it's made by the Sherwood Forge, so it has that Gilligan's Island vibe. And, uh, you know, it, it switches the premise halfway through the season because originally they're back in time, and then they come forward in time. And actually, that was a, pro- a pretty good thing to do because one of the present day episodes where they're cavemen uh doing i think they become a a music band or something uh, you know in one of the episodes and it's just that is a very funny episode but mainly it's kind of a lame series too (laughs) but you know now if i you know a lot of people it's it's probably the same thing you've encountered with your life um people have fondness a lot of times for something they saw as a kid that might not necessarily be that good. It's just, you know, uh, you know, and then you see it later and go, I like that. Or, you know, so a lot of people that liked it's about time, for example, grew up with it. You know, they saw it when they're eight, nine, 10 years old. So, you know, even if they see it now, they still have fond memories and they say, yeah, I love the show. And for me, just seeing it at 50 or whatever, I'm like, yeah, it's okay. I get it. It has the Sherwood shorts vibe to it. And I, I can get it, but you know, the older I get, the more I, you, you know, the more you really start to fully understand just how much nostalgia plays into people's likes and dislikes yes. about yeah. things. Because you're absolutely right. I mean, there's shows that I watched as a kid and that, that other people have said to me, oh, I love that. That show is so great. They don't make stuff like that anymore. And I, I'll say to them, have you watched it recently? Because there's yeah. a reason they don't make stuff like that. Yeah. Not I mean, fortunately, and Barney Miller using that as an example holds up. You know, anytime Absolutely. I ever caught an episode, um, I don't think there's a really bad episode in the bunch. Of course, I haven't. It, that is a series, and you could wait, hold that thought. <laughs> that <laughs> Barney Miller is a series. I want to get that box set. I mean, I got like season one and two, and then I said, oh, they put out the whole season, the whole series. Uh, it's just not a whole series. Yeah, you can hold it up. Yeah, I haven't bought that yet. And it's only because in the last few years, I've gotten the whole series of All in the Family, The Jeffersons, One Day at a Time. What else? Uh, you know, a bunch of other stuff. Mod, you know, it's, so it's like, it's coming, you know, but I just haven't seen it. You know, I, you know, it'll, it'll be on my list. Same thing with your book. I'll have to admit, I love books about old TV shows. And I'm like, I was going to order this Barney Miller book. I don't have it. Well, you know, I've watched Barney Miller enough. I can wing it on this show. <laughs> I have to get your book. So I will get yeah. it uh, as soon as we're done here. But um, what was my point of all this stuff? Oh, you know, so, oh, you were going to say, is there well, a lousy you said, episode? You said it's not a bad episode. And I was yeah, is there a lousy episode? There's one There's one really lousy episode. And Let's that see if I was, remember it. <laughs> it was actually an episode that was inserted and was meant to be a potential spinoff. For okay, well, that's forgiven. Movie. It's like, those are usually pretty shitty. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So, what's interesting about it is that it was going to be a, a spinoff of Wojo, 
Wojohowicz with Max Gale. And when I talked to Max about it, he, he kind of chuckled. He's like, yeah, he said, you know, that's funny that you mentioned that. He says, I didn't want to do it. He says, because I told them, he said, you know, I had already seen um, Abe Vigoda leave and his show kind of crashed and burned after a year and a half. And Gregory's show didn't go because Gregory Sierra did AES Hudson Street, which was, and by the way, I looked up, Sierra was not on, on it. Was not okay, on. I'm thinking of somebody different then. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, so he says, I really didn't want to do it. And Danny's like, well, the network is kind of forcing me to do this. So Max got Danny to promise it, like to put it in writing that if the network wanted to do the show, Max was not required to go and jump from Barney over to his own show. Good for him. <laughs> so there was a guy who was begging not to do his own now, show. Now, what season was that episode? I think it was season five, I think. Okay. I probably saw it, and it, it kind of strikes a memory. I haven't seen it in years. I've seen episodes, but just not that one. But that, that kind of... I kind of remember that, that it was, I was like, what the hell is this? You know, it's like, I didn't know, I didn't know about pilots and such things when these right. things are on, you know, it's just like when you watch, uh, do you watch Green Acres? I mean, uh, I watched okay. it. Okay. Back, yeah. the, the last two episodes of the final season. So the last two episodes ever are backdoor pilots for other episodes. And basically, uh, you know, Mr. And Mrs. Douglas are in it at the very beginning, like, you know, he comes in and it's like, how's your new secretarial job? Oh, it's pretty good, Mr. Douglas. All right, I'll see you. And then he's not there for the rest of the episode. It's a whole nother story with a whole nother cast. It's like right. Elaine Joyce and Richard Deacon doing some office comedy. Oh it's like, God. what in the world is this? You know, and it's like when you're a kid, you don't know about pilots for anything. It's like, what are they doing here? Where yeah. Where is everybody? Why are, where's Mr. Haney? Where's the farm? What's going on? <laughs> so it sounds like that's probably what they did with the, the Woja one there. It's like, well, you know what they did? It was interesting they made it a two-parter it was called wojo's girl and they made it a two-parter and part one was fine yeah. because it was in the precinct right and you're introduced to this new girlfriend that wojo has that you discover is an ex-hooker because wojo always had a thing for hookers <laughs> and um and then the the part two the second part of it was it all took place in Wojo's apartment with just he and this young woman. Yeah. It was just boring. Yes. I remember that when you're saying yeah. that now. Yeah. And what's amazing, <laughs> what's amazing is that when they made Barney Miller, okay, there were two pilots to Barney Miller. Mm -hmm. And then when they made Barney Miller, almost everybody across the board, including the network, which is, very strange for a network to be right about something. But when they when they saw it, they're like, we love the stuff in the precinct. We're not crazy about the stuff at home because that's the same old domestic comedy stuff that we've seen for years. Mm -hmm. So within two or three episodes, they shifted everything into the precinct. Yeah. Is why Barbara Barry kind of faded away after right. the second season as his wife. Right. And so it, it was funny to me that the, that the two, the one spinoff that they actually did, the fish spinoff, mm -hmm. was basically a domestic sitcom. 
with mm-hmm. him and all these kids that they were, you know, foster parenting or whatever they were doing. And then the other one was this thing with Wojo just at his house, and it was boring. <laughs> and yet they knew better than anybody that the domestic stuff wasn't, you know, that interesting. Yeah. So did they did they try uh, any other spinoffs or anything like that? Um, not sure. That not, may or may not have been filmed, even you know. <laughs> right. Not from. Not that I know from that. Like the like okay. the the show that. Um, Gregory Sierra got was called AES Hudson Street. Right. And it was similar in style to Barney because it was like a, an after hours emergency clinic. Yeah. Um, and the same thing where you could bring in all these loonies every <laughs> week and the regulars could play off of them. I actually remember that show. There was only like six episodes of it. Yeah. And I actually remembered it, and I liked it. But then again, I liked Barney, so yeah. it was very similar. <laughs> you, you know what show I saw that I kind of thought was a spinoff, but really wasn't, but it was the same actor, was Detective School. It only lasts like a season and a half. And they it had James Gregory, and he kind of acted like Inspector Luger to a certain level. And I was like, you know, I wonder if... <laughs> You know, they kind of did that intentionally. I don't know. You know, it's like Inspector Luger with Aunt Esther from Sanford. (laughs) That's what I remember. I haven't seen it in years, but I kind of like that show. I didn't love it, but I kind of liked it, you know. So he did that. And Hal told me, Hal Linden told me that he remembers Gregory, James Gregory, the guy who played Inspector Luger, Mm -hmm. coming back to the Barney set uh, one evening while they were filming. And he, he, Gregory made some remark like, oh, I just wanted to see what it felt like to be around real actors again. <laughs> because I guess with detective school, I guess a lot of the people they surrounded him with were stand-up comics. Yeah. Who were kind of getting their first, uh, you know, getting their feet wet in sitcom land, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and he wasn't crazy about that because, of course, Gregory was was the most accomplished actor in that yeah. time. You know, he had been working longer than anybody. But again, I didn't know that at the time. I thought he was just this goofy guy because he appeared in occasional Disney films and he'd just be like, you know, uh, just kind of acting kind of half drunk doing a toast or something. Right. <laughs> you know, and then years later, I saw him in The Manchurian Candidate and it's like, wow, that's a dramatic role for him. <laughs> and then I'm sure he did tons of other things i'm not thinking of at the moment but it's like you know it's like this guy can act he's good you know it's like he was a he was a guy who did a lot of broadway yeah and then did a lot of live television in new york in the 50s Mm -hmm. uh and he and even with all that experience he was still someone who actually started his career rather late because he actually started his career uh as like a runner on wall street Mm. when he was a kid when he was like in his 20s yeah. and he didn't get into acting i don't think until he was in his 30 early 30s yeah yeah but- so can we kind of go over everybody well we talked about james gregory i mean some of these people i kind of know uh that they started like on broadway or or live right. theater at least so hal linden of course you know he's like a song and dance man uh did he do any previous tv prior to barney miller or is this kind of like his he- debut yeah, he did a little, but not a lot. Yeah. And certainly no shows of his own. As a matter of fact, he is in at least one episode 
of Car 54. Oh, I think I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he plays an assistant assistant district attorney. Yeah. um, Without a mustache. uh, Right, right. (laughs) And and in fact, right before they did Barney, he did a made-for-TV movie with Tony Lobianco called Mr. Inside, Mr. Outside. Hmm. And it was about two cops, but it was a drama. It was not a comedy. And Lobianco, in the course of like the beginning, the first half of the movie, gets shot Mm. and loses an arm Mm. so that he's now restricted to desk duty, but they're still partners. He works the inside and Lyndon works on the outside on the streets. Mm. So that was like a pilot movie for hopefully a a series. And as I say in the book, thankfully, it didn't go. (laughs) And that's what that's what freed up Lyndon to do to do Barney, and and of course Danny Arnold saw Lyndon in the Rothschilds on Broadway, mm. for which Lyndon won a Tony Award, mm. um, and that's what kind of made uh, Arnold reach out to him for this this character because mm. the, the network didn't want him because he was he had no name you know he was just a Broadway person, yeah. and Arnold that's who Arnold wanted. Oh, I should interrupt here. No relation. <laughs> I used to think that as a kid, when I'd see Danny Arnold's name, I'd go, Dad, <laughs> are we related yeah. to this guy? No. And then saying, and then Gilligan's Island, there's always Jack Arnold, who also directed some monster movies and things like that, like Incredible right. Shrinking Man. Are we related to him? No. <laughs> I was like, who are we related to? Nobody. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Yeah, um, Danny, Danny Arnold is an only child. I know that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the one I kind of know the least about of everyone in the, the main cast is Max Gale. I mean, I know him from the show and stuff he's done post, but what right. did he do prior to this show? You know, Max is, is first of all, he's, he is the n- nicest person in the world i mean (laughs) (laughs) unbelievable unbelievably sweet guy um he interestingly enough he actually he has a master's in business administration (laughs) okay (laughs) (laughs) which he never really used because um he was also a musician he played piano Mm -hmm. and he as so many of I, i i teach some classes on pop culture and stuff and i always tell my students You'd be amazed how many actors or actresses got started because they followed a girlfriend or a boyfriend somewhere. (laughs) Um, And he told me he followed this girl to California. And then after they were there for a while, they broke up and he started playing piano in a piano bar Mm -hmm. in San Francisco, I believe. Mm -hmm. And he he had taken some drama courses in college for fun, but not with any intention of, you know, becoming an actor. So he's playing piano and he needs a little extra money and he sees an ad that they wanted like uh, extras or like extras or something for uh, our understudies for a play. And he didn't know what it was, but he's like, yeah, I'll give it a try. So he went and when he got there, they said, oh, no, we're sorry. That was a misprint. We're looking for ticket takers. And the guy who looks at me says, but, you know, we actually do need an understudy for the chief because the play wow. was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm. 
So he read for it and they said, yeah, we'll hire you as the understudy for the chief. Well, in about a month's time, the guy who was playing the chief had an altercation and hit one of his fellow actors and was fired. Wow. <laughs> and just like that, Max yep. was put into the role and he said he played it for over a year. Wow. And while he was doing that, he met all these other guys like um, Robert Walden, who's a character actor who was on Lou Grant for many years. Yeah. Um, uh, the guy who played Superfly, Ron, oh, yeah. Ron, Ron O'Neill. Ron yeah, O'Neill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He played Superfly. <laughs> a, a, a bunch of these guys, Bill Devane, William Devane. So he says, I met these guys and through them, they got me taking, started taking acting classes. And then I got a job in LA in a movie. Mm. And he was in like a Clint Eastwood movie or something. Mm-hmm. And he started getting parts on that, on uh, you know weekly TV like Streets of San Francisco and and stuff like that. And he said that when Danny called him for this, he wasn't really interested because he had been contemplating moving to Hawaii. Hmm. And he went in, and Danny said, you know, he kind of explained it to him and he, he read for him and Danny says, gee, you know, you're not what I was looking for. He says, but I kind of like your take on it. I could easily rewrite this for you. And then he said, they called him like a day or two later and offered him the job and he took it, but he told his agent, I don't want to sign on for more than a year. (laughs) (laughs) So he signed on every year, one year contracts. Wow. Now, uh, looking at the cast, we're going to go through the rest. Uh, Hal and Max and Ron Glass are the only ones that were on the entire series, right? That is correct, except okay. for Luger, but Luger was not always, wasn't there. Right, I mean, just, yeah, yeah, okay. Like, he was a recurring Yeah, character. like, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> but so that's right, interesting. Yeah, and then, of course, two of the three are still with us, so it's kind of interesting, the ones that, you know... Um, well, when I when I started doing the research, yeah, the three were with us. Ron, oh, Ron was still with us. Okay, okay. And Max said to me, uh, "Let me reach out to Ron. I'm sure he'd be willing to talk to you." So when Max called me back, he's like, "He says he wants to talk to you. He can't do it right now, but he, you know, if he can, he will definitely reach out to you and talk to you. He just unable to right now." Well, then he died a few months later. Mm. So he was already sick with cancer, mm. was not doing well. And uh, so unfortunately, I never got to speak to Ron. Mm. Now, yeah. interesting about him, he, he did have a lot of other roles. I mean, mostly post again, but, you know, he's on Firefly, he's on uh, New Odd Couple. And uh, but I think I remember seeing him in quite a few things prior to Barney Miller, too. Was he mainly a TV actor or did he do other things? Uh, Ron had a real um, classical uh, education in terms of drama. Mm-hmm. He did all the, you know, he did Shakespeare, he did Miller, he did Shaw. He was got this um, when he when he got out of school. I think he went to University of Indiana, and when he got out of school, he got this great position at the Guthrie Theater in Minnesota, which is one of the premier uh, uh, theater groups, and. Um, so he was, he, Ron and Hal and, and Gregory 
were really the guys who all had the like live stage experience, a good amount of it before they got the television and or movies. Max always said that he was the one who had the least yeah, yeah. experience compared <laughs> to the rest of them. Yeah. Jack Sue, of course, who played Nicky Mana, uh, started out as a as a nightclub comedian and singer. In fact, I didn't know that. I mean, yeah. the earliest thing I know of his is a flower drum song, which I'm sure is not his first thing either. But you know, <laughs> he he was. This is the truth. He was billed as the Chinese Bing Crosby, <laughs> and of course, he was not Chinese. <laughs> he was Japanese. <laughs> Oh, um, but he had been put in the internment camps during World War II after the death. Is, Japanese is, is Sue his real name or no? No, his real oh. name was Goro Suzuki. Ah, okay. I think I've heard that before. Yeah. 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 And he and his family were rounded up after the Japanese uh, invasion, I mean, the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, and they were put into camps. And then when he, he got out of camp and was starting in the nightclub business, he billed himself as Jack Sue because this was still during, like, right near the end of the war. And, of course, in 44, 45, technically speaking, we were still allies with China. Right. So it, it was much, much better to be a Chinese person in America <laughs> than it was to be a Japanese person in America. So he changed his name to Jack Sue. And then when he did Flower Drum Song, because he did it both on Broadway and in the film, yeah. He wanted to, to shift back and start using his real name again. And the producers of the Flower Drum song said to him, you know, we, we can't really let you do that because the story is based in this Chinese community, <laughs> in this Chinese nightclub. And we've already got like three or four of the main roles are filled by Korean people or, you know, people that were Asian, but they were not Chinese. <laughs> So at least you have a Chinese name, so people think you're Chinese. So we want you to keep it. So that's Just. why he never, never. <laughs> that's funny. And then he did a show in, I want to say '64, '65, called Valentine's Day. With was that a series, um, or? it was a series <laughs> with um, Tony Franciosa. Hmm. Uh, but that lasted only one year. But he was. He was the guy who knew Danny Arnold better than anyone else before the show because they had worked in nightclubs together in the ah, late okay. and early 50s. Mm -hmm. so that's how he knew Danny. Yeah. So they went back the longest, personally. Yeah. Now, before we go through the rest of them, um, so Danny Arnold, uh, he worked with, uh, I mean, his previous shows he kind of worked with because I know it says Barney Miller's his his baby that was his creation but right. this is the wackiest ship in the army the real mccoys bewitched that girl he had like co-ownership or was he just on how did he work with all the, those different shows the other show that i know he you know quote unquote created for television was the wackiest ship in the army but that of course had been a movie previously okay. so obviously someone else had yeah some kind of ownership. That dean jones is a star right is that correct? Um, or is that uh, the other one? No, that's... Um, um, I'm, I'm, I'm bad today. <laughs> Usually I'm like, you know, uh, the Gary Gary uh, Collins. Is it him? Gary Collins, yeah. Okay, there Gary, we go. All right. Gary Collins and Jack Ward. 
okay so it's that yeah. show yeah okay yeah. oh the other one that had dean jones i was i forgot the title of that i can't one. remember i know yeah. which one you're talking about but okay okay all right but, um, um now my reason of bringing up that show and any of the others danny are did any of the cast appear even as a guest on any of those other shows oh yeah definitely. they did oh, okay so um well like i say jack had been on i think i'm uh, I'm pretty sure Jack did an episode of a wacky ship in the army, but there were people later on who, for example, there were people who had been on that girl, people who had been on the show he did right before um, uh, Barney Miller called My World and Welcome. Oh, yeah. to Mm-hmm. Um, that would that they they guested on that show and then they were on Barney for because William Winden, for example, was oh, yeah. the star of My World and Welcome to It, and he did um, a couple of different Barney episodes. Mm, yeah, um, and uh, and then of course the you know some of these people appeared on Fish, some of them appeared on ADS <laughs> Hudson Street. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he. Danny, you know, as you can tell from watching Barney, uh, and this was something that my daughter had problems with when I first was showing her the show, was, you know, she's born in in the mid-90s, right? Mm -hmm. When we have, you know, DVDs and VCRs, and, and now we've got streaming and all this stuff. So the first time she was watching a Barney with me where she saw an actor who had been on a previous Barney episode playing a different character. <laughs> and she says, wait a minute, he can't do that. He was already so and so. I said, they used to do that quite a bit. Yep, yep. And Danny in particular did a lot because Danny very much so when he, when there was an actor he liked, he yep. would bring them back and back and back. Yeah. So there's guys like, you know, um, Don Kalfa and, uh, um, Mario Racuzo and Sal Vescuzo and <laughs> and all these guys who um oh the woman there, uh, Peggy Pope, yeah. who he just bought brought back over and over again because he he loved what they did. Yeah. Uh, I, I forgot which actor was talking about that, but it was on I think it was on Gilbert Godfrey's podcast. And he uh, he was saying that he had a pretty good living just appearing as different characters on the same series um i guess a good example of this it wasn't this actor is like parley bear you know he seemed to appear on everything right in different roles over and over and over but yeah it's like it all dried up uh where it's like if you come in and you're such and such character uh even if you don't work out you know as that character you can never come back you know right. it's like it's frustrating because you might want to come back but because you already played something you can't you know and it's exactly. kind of frustrating how acting works that way um the one i've kind of danced around but you'd mentioned him you know, abe vagoda so i know he was in godfather i've seen him on some 50s uh tv shows like him playing a cabbie or something like that that's um, the only thing you've seen yeah <laughs> but he's probably done a ton of stuff yeah Yeah. he did mostly theater work okay uh there is that clip of him as a cab driver driver in a a jimmy durante uh show i think is that what that is i don't remember i watched it a few years ago playhouse or something like that (laughs) and um and then i always say that before the godfather 
Abe Vigoda wouldn't have been recognized by his own relatives. I mean, he just <laughs> he did primarily like off Broadway type theater. He did a lot of theater work. Yeah. So so I'm glad. Yeah, you, I should correct myself because earlier I forgot to mention that he had done a lot of theater work. Okay. As well, okay. and then all of a sudden he does The Godfather. Now suddenly everybody <laughs> knows him. Now, I haven't watched the offer. I mean, did they talk in that about? Uh... I don't know if you watched the offer. Yeah, everybody keeps raving about it. I'm wondering if that's how they casted him, if they saw him on stage, or if he just knew him, you know, Coppola or you know, whatever. Well, Coppola, from from what I know about it, because I I know a little bit about The Godfather, mm-hmm. he he found him in an open casting call. Oh, okay. Yeah, he found Vagoda for The Godfather. He found him in an open casting mm-hmm. call, and then Danny called him in because. In the first pilot, there was a, a detective Del Vecchio. Yeah. So he brought him in in the second pilot to kind of read for this Del Vecchio. But similar to Max, when he came in and he read and stuff, he's like, "Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute," you know. So he changed. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He he wasn't <laughs> going to give him the 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 Italian detective in the first um the pilot was like Yamana. He was the gambler. Mm. So he just kind of created this character from, you know, Abe kind of uh, inspired him to create this old man character, which, of course, when Abe did that, I think he was, when he started, he was only like 53 or 54. (laughs) So, um, uh, and that, you know, so he, he, he kind of created that around the persona he saw when he came, when Vagoda came in. Right. That really, you know, other than the Godfather, Barney Miller was really the first. Th- that's the thing that really propelled him yeah. into the spotlight. Well, certainly the first thing I saw him in because uh, I didn't see the Godfather at that point. I was right. still a kid. I didn't see the Godfathers until like the eighties or something. Um, now, the one thing bringing it back to comic books. So you know about Abe's brothers, right? No, I don't. Oh. So Abe's brothers, one is Bill Vagoda, one is a high, uh, high Vagoda. They both work for Archie Comics. Bill Vagoda drew a lot of the covers and everything. And, uh, mm. you know, uh, as far as I know, Abe had artistic talent that he could have followed in the footsteps as well. But okay. he just didn't want to be sitting in a seat all day just drawing cartoons. He wanted to wow. do something more, and that's why he did the acting. Um, but yeah, he had the apparently, and I think it's his uh, daughter, Carol Vagoda. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I think she was the one who told me. Yeah, he had the talent, but you know, he he, he left it to his brothers to do all the artwork. Oh, you know, I so. did not know that. No. Now, unfortunately, uh, Bill Vagoda died really young. He died in 1973. Three, I think and it's like he had drawn Archie for you know if you want to know what he did primarily at Archie that he's known for besides just a general Archie thing is if you've ever seen Archie it's pure heart the powerful those superhero ones he tended yeah, to draw yeah, those yeah. Yeah, oh so. okay okay but because you know nobody signed their things back then they didn't give credits so yeah you know, exactly but, yeah but yeah you know, and yeah unfortunately he did die young and you know so and for years, I think people would ask about his brother and Abe wouldn't talk about him. So I think it hurt him a lot that, you know, he oh, died wow. young and everything. And it, I think it was like a heart attack or something, if I remember correctly. I'd have to look wow. at my Archie notes. <laughs> but yeah. You, you must be, I'm assuming you must be friends with uh, Mark Evanier. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I know, I, I, 
whatever I've learned in the last <laughs> 20 years about comic Evan books. here probably knows all the details about the pagodas more than I do. I mean, it's like I'm giving you the shorthand from memory, which isn't the greatest all the time. Wow. But, you know, it's like when I, I figured that out, it was just like, wow, it's kind of a odd family connection, you know, the guys work for Archie and then, you know, the yeah. other guy's an actor, you know, on TV. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, but wow. you know, I didn't know if you had known that. And so no, and you said that. you read no. non-superhero things. So I thought maybe you might know it because, you know, <laughs> it's never, Archie, you know, but Carol you know. never told me that. So no, oh, okay. I didn't know that. Well, she might not know it if she's, uh, you know, she didn't know Bill very well and he died so oh, long yeah. ago. It probably didn't really occur to her or anything like that. I mean, I don't think I've ever really asked her. I, I've talked to her a couple times, like by email or something, but not really okay. hardcore about anything. Um, let's see. I think we kind of touched on Gregory Sierra, but you could mention a little bit more. What, what type of things did he do prior to, you know? Well, like I say, he um, he had a pretty good, you know, he appeared on, I don't know, maybe eight or ten episodes of Sanford and Son. Right. Um, and, uh, and he he's a funny guy. Now, he, too, I, I reached out to him, but I never got any response. And then he died of cancer. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if that, you know, maybe he was sick, too, and he didn't want to do it or you know obviously i understand that yeah, yeah. Well, I, I remember uh that was one you know i don't know if you've listened to gilbert godfrey show much before oh. before he passed away uh yeah. but frank always frank santa padre the co-host always says here's another one we couldn't get you know and you know they apparently tried for years to get gregory sierra to do the show and he yeah. just wouldn't commit so yeah, he, he I, yeah, like I say, I reached out to him. He, you know, he did Sanford and Son before, then he did Barney, then he did AES Hudson Street. And then I found out that he was on like the first, I don't know, two, three, four episodes of Miami Vice. Hmm. He I think that's a, right, but I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, he could have had a recurring character and he left because he, because they, it would have required him to move to Miami. Oh. They were shooting the series there, and he didn't want to do that. Yeah. So he gave that up. But, you know, he appeared a lot in, in uh, episodic television throughout the 80s and 90s. And then really, um, you know, the beginning part of this century, he kind of tapered off. Yeah. Um, the last I remember, it wasn't he on a couple episodes of Golden Girls or something like that? I it seems he like, was, yeah, that's the last I remember. I mean, he probably was on something else, but right, unknowingly. Right. So, um, let's see, we talked about James Gregory, uh, Steve Landisberg, the only one I know, the only uh, the one of two, uh, but you said Jack Sue too, but I didn't know that. Uh, it's a one of three that were stand up comedians. <laughs> So, you know, the yeah. other being Ron Carey, you know, and it's like, and I knew that going into it. Landisberg was a late addition to the show, right? He started after Jack Sue, or was it before well, he passed? No, you want to know something? Landisberg's funny. Landisberg is, again, one of these characters, as was Ron Carey, by the way. Yeah. Excuse me, Ron Carey. No, Landisberg first. Landisberg yeah. appeared in episode one of season two okay oh, okay he appeared as a phony priest that they bring in oh yeah okay i remember okay. that but it wasn't the same character so that's why i was not thinking right. about it, that okay yeah and then literally yeah 11 episodes later he is introduced 
as Arthur Dietrich, who, wow. is, who is coming over from the 33rd precinct, which has been closed down due to budgetary cutbacks. Uh-huh. So you see him in season two, episode 12. And it's the, it's the, and this too, by the way, season two, episode 12, where we're introduced to Dietrich, that was supposedly supposed to be the pilot for the fish spinoff. Was he intended to be the, the replacement for fish or did you just luck out that way? That I, it, he was intended to be the replacement for fish. But what I found out was that that was supposed to be that episode was supposed to be the, the potential spinoff for the fish series. And, it, and you they go to Fish's apartment in that episode. And Dietrich follows him to the apartment. And, and in that episode, there's Fish's wife, although Florence Stanley, by the way, was off doing another sitcom at the time called Joe and Sons, which only lasted half a year. I really remember that, yeah. <laughs> came back. But um, uh, there was a girl, a woman in it called, I think her name was Emily Levine. Mm-hmm. And she had been in an improv group with Landisburg called the New York Stickball Company. Mm. And she was in that episode as Fish and Bernice's daughter. And um, that was going to be like the, the, the pilot and the network didn't like it. They didn't feel it worked. So Arthur Dietrich is introduced as a new cop to the 12th. But now we don't see him again, I don't think, until season three. And then in season three, we only see him in about maybe six to eight episodes. Mm-hmm. And then he comes on full time in season four. And then um, when Sue passes away in season middle of season five, then the rest of the, the way it's just Harris, Dietrich, Wojo, and then the part for Levitt, Ron Carey, gets bigger and bigger. Hmm. Because Carey came in in the last episode of season two as a burglar called The Mole. Oh, is that late? Wow. Because for some reason, I thought Ron Carey was always there, but just very off and on, you know, and then he became more regular as time went on. I didn't realize he wasn't on at all and a different character. Yeah. (laughs) Carl Officer Carl Levitt was introduced at the beginning of season three. Okay, and then as other people left, his role got larger and larger. Right. Yeah, but Landisburg, yeah, Landisburg was pretty much strictly a stand-up, except that the way Danny Arnold saw him was on an episode of Paul Sands' Friends and Lovers. (laughs) I remember that show. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Well. uh, Dietrich, which he, which was a character he used to do in his stand-up act, Dietrich played like this German professor character or something in Paul Sand's show. Right. And supposedly one of the uh, I can't remember if it was if it was one of the uh, casting agents who told me this or no, I know who it was. It was it was Steve Landisberg's widow, Nancy. Uh, Nancy Ross Landisberg told me that Danny saw him on Paul Sands and said to one of the people working for him, gee, it's too bad this guy's German because he's pretty funny. And the person said, oh, no, I know Steve. He's not German. That's just a a character he's playing. That's an accent he's putting on. 
He's like, really? He says, bring him in. I want to meet him. So he spotted him on that show, and then he liked what he did so well that he brought him back 11, 11 episodes later. So I think the first time I saw him, though, was a stand-up. I think it might have been Tonight Show or something. And he didn't do just German. He did a bunch of dialects. So he was good oh, yeah. at dialects. And that's what I remember him from. And then he, then he started appearing on Barney Miller. And I go, okay, I, think, I guess they think he's funny. You know, it's like, because, you know, back then it was still kind of iffy if a, a stand-up comedian could transition to, right. you know, it could happen, obviously. But sometimes people... You know. <laughs> right. you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Tyson really liked him and had yeah. him on uh, uh quite a bit. Yeah. And um he would be on Mike Douglas, he'd be on Merv Griffin, and he was really That's where I saw him too a lot. Yeah. Yeah, at the time uh I spoke with um Diana Canova, who was uh you know, was uh Corinne in soap, mm-hmm. and she and Landisberg were dating back then and <laughs> stuff. And she, when I spoke with her, she was like, she says, you know, it really bothers me because back at that time, Steve was just as popular and just as well thought of as, um, you know, uh, Rod, like the guys who were his friends, Rodney Dangerfield, David Brenner, um, all these guys. And she said, uh, he's not as well remembered today she says and it really bothers me because he was so funny yeah he was so good and he and like i say carson loved him carson yeah. thought he was he was great so um it'd be hard to say who my favorite character on the show but I, I i might give the nod to him because at least back in the day when i used to watch it he was the one i'd watch it for i mean yeah i'd like you know the other characters but you know it's like it just seemed like he had the 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 best little zinger line that like and he would say it all deadpan you just well duh, 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 you know nice. big laugh you know <laughs> yeah, i can't yeah. say a line that he would say but the way he delivered it was right. priceless and i said if only i could be that way because i'm never deadpan that way if i'm gonna say something funny i'm probably laughing while i'm saying <laughs> it, you know, you know? right and uh, whereas he could just uh, be the total off the cuff uh, you know, and well, I, I have to say, I always say I love everybody, and I really did love everybody on that show. Yeah, but uh, both Dietrich and Yaman, Jack Sue's character, mm-hmm. I love both of those because of that reason because they were both deadpan, they just right. so they played it so straight, yeah. and it made it funnier, like you say, it, that's what made it so much funny. It so. seems like there's good chemistry, you know, on that show. It's like it was it was genuine. It wasn't like forced or anything. They all really loved each other, it seemed like. Yeah, you know, uh, Nancy, again, uh, Landisberg's widow, said to me, she says, you know, they didn't hang out together after the show ended. She says, but they did always keep in touch. Yeah. Um, and she says, you know, when they went, she says, specifically Max and Ron uh, Glass, when they heard that Steve was sick, yeah. she goes, they both called immediately and reached out and asked if they, if they needed anything and what could we do, you know, and all that. So she said, yeah, they, you know, they didn't, they didn't, they weren't hanging out together all the time, but they were close. And, and, and um, uh, Landisberg was very close, not surprisingly, because he was a fellow standup to Ron Carey. Yep. He, he and Carey were very close. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, Carrie died 
I think way too young too. <laughs> or any of them. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, he, he, he made it through the show. Yeah. But I mean, he died before. Oh, yeah. He did Mel Brooks films uh, right. right after or during and after, you know, High Anxiety, exactly. History of the World. Those are the ones I can think of off the top exactly. of my head. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Silent Movie was the other one he yeah, did. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But uh, so, yeah, they did. They did stay close. And um, and uh, Max, you know, still talks to Hal once in a while as well. And so. Yeah. Yeah, they had very good, uh, very good relationships from yeah. from everything I could could gather from anybody, and and the guest actors of whom I spoke with, over twenty, maybe twenty twenty five different people who guested on it, oh, and like to a person, they said that they loved getting on that show because it was such a you know such a fun set. But also, they also complained that. <laughs> you know, they would finish shooting at 3, 4, 5 a.m. in the morning. Um, I can't remember which actress told me that she remembered leaving after they finished filming and the sun was coming up. Was it because everybody would crack up during the scenes or they just had multiple takes? What was the reason why it took so long? It was because Danny was a bad combination of a procrastinator and a perfectionist. Oh, no. <laughs> so he put stuff off until the end. Yeah. But then when he started doing it, he wouldn't finish until he got everything exactly the way he wanted. So there were many, many stories from people who said that that he, he didn't like the way a scene was playing out. So he said, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna make some changes." He would go upstairs and rewrite. And as Hal said to me. He's like, you know, this is 11, 30, 12 o'clock. <laughs> We're sitting there now waiting for him. And everybody's on golden time and double golden time and all this stuff. And uh, he says, but he didn't care. He would pay for it because he, it had to be the way he wanted it. So they would often shoot very, very late <laughs> into the morning. <laughs> he, Danny drove himself so badly with that that he had to step away after after the first five seasons, because the doctors told him mm. that if he didn't, he was going to die. He had, he had, um, I want to say a quadruple bypass after the end of season five. Mm. And he stayed away for two years and, and the show was run by uh, uh, Tony Sheehan, who had been working for Danny mm. almost since the beginning. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And, I, and he was a great help to me as well. I talked to him a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you, you talk about the writers in pretty in-depth, which is natural. Tony's one of them. Uh, looking at the the list of them, I mean, I recognize his name. I recognize Chris Hayward, if he's the same person I'm thinking of, and then Reinhold, which we already mentioned. So Chris Hayward, is he the same person that worked on Rocky and Bullwinkle yes. and uh, yes, Jay Ward? Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> That's and, the same Chris Hayward, yeah. Okay. That's he and thought. Danny went way back. They were okay. friends way back. Now the other ones listed, I wrote them down here. Just uh, I, Tom Reader. What's the background with him? Uh, <laughs> Tom Reader. If you ever watched and enjoyed Cheers, you'd see his name come up on Cheers okay. quite a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, he wrote a lot of Cheers episodes. Tom was Tom I, uh, was very nice, and he was helpful too because he was telling me that. He started writing. He started writing for Danny around the same time that um, that Tony and and Reinhold Wiggy did. 
uh, maybe a, just a little bit later, but not much at all. And but he said he goes, you know, Danny, because he was the personality that he was, mm-hmm. um, he said, you know, they offered me a staff writing position after I think it was at the end of season two, maybe or something. And his agent turned it down mm. uh, without even bringing it to Tom. He turned it down. And when Tom asked him why he did that, he's like, you don't want to work for Danny. He says, I'll make a deal <laughs> for you where you get a certain number of assignments every year. I mean, uh, yeah, every season. And you don't have to worry about it. And so that's what he did. Because I think Tom ended up writing 13, 14, 15 episodes, something like that. But he never was on staff. He was always as a freelancer. So, but very funny guy. He and uh, wrote Cheers. He wrote Barney. He wrote. Uh, I feel like he wrote um, for Newhart. Maybe one of the maybe the second Newhart show. I can't remember for certain now. I just but, have to look these people up because you know, obviously, we have the luxury of things like IMDb now that lists right. everything people go that have done. And you go, oh, okay. But I'm just going just purely by. I recognize that name, but these other people I don't recognize. So uh, right. next, next one, Jeff Stein. He seems well, Jeff, familiar. Jeff Stein and Frank Dungan. Okay, who, that's one of them. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. They came, what happened there was they started submitting story ideas like right near the end of season five. Mm. right near that last season that Danny was there a full time before he took the two years off. And they had been, well, sort of, they had been, neither of them were really stand-up comics, but they used to hang out at the, at the uh, comedy store. Mm. And they basically would sell jokes to the comics (laughs) and they got hired by Jimmy Walker, who I guess was a big, uh, you know, he helped a lot of comics and writers when they were starting out and he put them on the payroll and they all, they, they kind of hit it off together and became friends and they always used to talk and they both said to me, it says, we, we both were on the same page because we both said we were writing material for comics, but we said the only TV show we'd really be interested in writing for would be Barney Miller. And they said, we got to know Steve because Steve would work out at the comedy store. So we asked him, if we gave you a script, could you get it to the producer? And Steve says, oh, God, yeah. He says, they're always complaining they don't have enough writers. <laughs> so that's what happened. Okay. But what happened was Danny left at the end of season five. And so did Reinhold Wiggy because he got the deal from Warner Brothers. So all of a sudden, where it had been Danny at the top, with Reinhold Wiggy and Tony Sheehan as his two lieutenants, those two guys left and Tony was left on his own. Wow. <laughs> with no other real staff writers. Yeah. So he saw some of their material and he thought they were pretty good. So he kind of brought them in and brought them under his wing and he developed them. So they wrote a lot in those seasons six seven and eight so they were really there the last three seasons so mainly because of tony uh and then later on they went on to create um mr belvedere oh yeah, yeah. show mr belvedere with christopher mm-hmm. Hewitt and bob uh Uker. it almost sounds like um gary marshall with dick van dyke show you know they came in with what was his writing partner i forgot gary belson yeah and uh 
they did a lot of scripts at the end. They didn't do so much early on because, you know, I think, uh, you know, just uh, Carl Reiner was getting tired of it. Just, you know, not getting sick, just tired of being so hands on and, you know, right. letting other people kind of. And I forgot the other writing team, you know, I. I, I Whiskey and Denoff. Yeah, those two, you know, had more prominence in the later seasons, too, you know, and of course, all of them went on to do a zillion other sitcoms that we haven't even discussed, you know. Well, I was I was thrilled to to talk to Bill Persky, because, Mm -hmm. like I say, I am a huge, huge Dick Van Dyke show fan. Mm -hmm. When I got to talk to him, I told him it's like a dream come true that I'm talking (laughs) to a guy who wrote, you know, something like. 20 something Dick Van Dyke scripts or 30 years. I can't remember. Right, what right. It was. And, um, but he had been friends with Danny Arnold for many years. And, and he was the one who hired Danny to come over, come and take over um, uh, that girl for two seasons. Mm. So yeah, he, he was great. Interesting. Um, okay. <laughs> and then one other writer, and then uh, there's a couple other just random questions I have. Is so Roland Kibbe, I think, is the other one. <laughs> Roland Kibbe was another one, another guy who he and Danny met on the Tennessee Ernie Ford show, which was yeah. a variety show in the 1950s that they were both writing on. Uh, Roland Kibbe. <laughs> Jeff Stein told me once, he said, um, he said, I think Danny put Roland in here because Roland, it was interesting. Roland Kibbe had been involved like at the beginning and then he never really had a credited presence on the show, but I guess he was always there as kind of like an advisor. Mm-hmm. And then Jeff Stein said to me, he's like, yeah, he goes, I think Danny put Roland with me and uh, Frank at the beginning kind of as our keepers, kind of like our babysitters to watch over us because he was the old, you know, the old guy. Kimmy actually ended up um, becoming uh, friends and producing partners with uh, Burt Lancaster. Hmm. He wrote, he wrote a number of Burt Lancaster films. Wow. I guess he and Lancaster were very, very (laughs) close. And I think he had a piece of Lancaster's production company. And, um, but that's, he and Danny met back in the fifties. And Kibby, you know, wrote for various. Uh, I think he, I think he wrote mostly variety shows uh, until later on, where he was writing movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he was he's Danny. You know, in the first year or two, he, there were a lot of names like Chris Hayward or Roland Kibby, people that were friends of his that he had known since the fifties or early sixties. Uh, you know, and then later on, he brought the younger guys in. Got it. Okay. Yeah. All right. so. Now, this is just two random questions I have, and then we might talk about something else completely. But um, on the box set, which you showed, you could show it again. You don't have to. But, you know, it only has the first season of Fish, which is not the reason I didn't buy it. I'm just always curious, why didn't the second season end up on there? You know, someone else asked me that once. I have <laughs> no idea. I mean, I have you ever seen Fish? Yeah, well, I didn't think it was that great. I mean, it no, is say, it, 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 the only significance out of it is that it's, I think, the debut or close to the debut of Todd Bridges on a TV show. Or, you know, he might have done some acting prior to that, but, you know. Well, you uh, know what he did before that? Oh, wait, he did do something before that. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, just tell me. 
He did a Barney Miller episode. Oh, okay. But he also did a Walton's episode. That's what he did. I think he did. Yeah. yeah, that's what I saw because it, it popped in my head as soon as I said, wait, right. it wasn't fish. But <laughs> yeah. in yeah, fact, no, I think he did I'm, like a, a two or three story episode story arc on the Waltons, you know, if I really right. if memory serves. So I was just going to say about the second season of fish. Don't worry. Cause you're not missing anything. I oh yeah. Know. I know. It's just complete. I mean, it's like, would you be pissed if they left off half the season of eight of <laughs> Barney Miller well, or something, you know, <laughs> I was, like you, I was pissed because I started buying season one, season two, season three of Barney. And then they stopped at season three. Yeah. And then finally, you know, years later, Shout Factory yeah. came out with the full thing. And then I bought that all over again, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, um... I just got the one, two, three, but I've sold them. I said, someday I'll buy the box set, you know, and it's like, I still haven't done it, but I will do it eventually. In fact, I keep hinting at the wife. I said, you know, I don't have the Barney Miller set yet. (laughs) (laughs) And now that I've interviewed with you, I can say, look, look, I've interviewed with a guy who wrote a book on it. I'm going to get the book. I need the series now, you know. Got to see the whole thing. (laughs) Because, you know, I, I watched it when it was originally on. I think I saw most of the episodes. I can't say I saw all of them. You know, it's kind of funny on every TV show, since I have stack, it's not in camera range. I have stacks of DVDs that have shows that I haven't watched. Right. Um, even shows that I thought I watched every episode. Like we mentioned New Heart. I thought I watched every episode of New Heart. And either I have a very, very bad memory or it's like, I've never seen this one before. You know, yeah. this one's a great episode or I've never seen this one before. You know, and right. I'm glad I didn't see that one. But, you know, it's like, you know, it's just amazing to me. So, you know, it's like I like watching them all because, you know, I want to know what they did, you know. You know? Well, you know, the other thing, the other reason why, you know, you got to love having them on on DVD is because on some of these channels, oh, yeah. there's stuff cut out. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I remember there's a guy on who, who made... Oh, God, I, at, at least six appearances on Barney Miller. There was a character actor named Ralph Monza, okay? And Ralph Monza, I, I've always known who Ralph Monza was, uh, originally because of of, uh, of Barney Miller. But he later on, on Newhart, he plays Bud. Remember when Newhart's doing the talk show? He plays one of the crew members named Bud. Yeah. Um, that's Ralph Monza. So... I don't know, but it must have been about seven, eight years ago now. I'm watching on, on some cable channel, I'm watching Perry Mason. I mm-hmm. love Perry Mason. So I watched the whole show, and at the end of the show, I watched the credits. Mm-hmm. So one of the people on the credits was Ralph Monza. And I said, I didn't there. see Ralph Monza <laughs> there. So they literally, whatever he was in, they cut him all out. So I said, screw it. And I just went and ordered the whole series on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, then there's issues sometimes a different way. Hopefully there's not with Barney Miller, but sometimes like Odd Couple, they cut the music on certain oh. things. And you're like, uh, you know, because they can show it on TV and syndication. But they, but then they cut other things. It's like, can't we get uncut shows? But oh well, yeah, you know. Luckily, there's like, no music issues with Barney, so that's cool. Um, <laughs> let's see. Um, now, my other question has, well, it depends on how you answer because I don't know. So uh, I'm always getting new TV series all the time, uh, it, it, as best I can. You know, you know, unless 
and I'm not picky because some people say, why would you get that show? So recently, and I've watched some of them, I got That's My Mama with Clifton Davis. Yes, now, it yes. says on the box, uh, connected to Barney Miller somehow. And I was like, very tenuous. I mean, who is it that did, was it uh, the same writer or same something? What, you know, it's like, what type of connection is that show? Because it's not even, it's set in Washington, D.C. It doesn't have any similar cast members. I'm like, you know, are they just pulling my leg just to get me to buy it? (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, I don't know any relation to, um, so Barney, I actually own That's My Mama on DVD. I, okay. I remembered yeah. that show from, from when I was a kid. I yeah. watched it. In the, and it's in the not bad. Month. I mean, there's some stupid episodes, but then yeah. it's not bad. It's it's a cute show. But, you know, it's like I was saying, what's the connection there? So if you don't know, it's probably very, very tenuous link. <laughs> was uh, uh, Clifton Davis ever on an episode of Barney Miller? No, he was not. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, well, let's see. Noam Pitlick directed one episode of That's My Mama, and he directed the hundred and one of uh, Barney. Okay. <laughs> um, All right. Yeah, that's that's okay. Cool. I had to ask that because I think it's just it might I mean, just be Ron, Ron back of the box puffery to get me to buy the thing because who remembers That's My Mama? But Barney Miller, that was on for eight seasons, so uh, we'll say vaguely related to. <laughs> Barney Miller, buy it now. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's it's very very slight. Ron Friedman wrote four in, four episodes of That's My Mama. He wrote two episodes of Barney. Those okay. are the only two connections I okay. see. No, no producers <laughs> are the same. Okay. Um. Yeah, the producers are totally different. Yeah. Yeah, that's the only two. Yeah, well, it's not even the same production company. You know, I was saying, you know, no. yeah. <laughs> Definitely so, not the same production company. Now, was it, uh, saying that is there, uh, did um, other than Fish, I guess, uh, was there any other production company? What was it? 4D productions? 4D productions yeah, for, yeah uh, I remember that. But, yeah. You know, and it had the four ding 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 or whatever. Um, <laughs> were there any other 4D productions that it was? We... It was 4D was Barney. Um, Barney and AES Hudson Street. And uh, he did one. His last series was called uh, Joe Bash, which only lasted a few episodes. I remember the name. I don't think I ever watched yeah. it. <laughs> um, because one of the, one of the uh, people who worked as an assistant to Danny said that by the time they did Fish, Danny was Danny was so um how do I say this nicely he was he, he was so fed up with Abe Bogota <laughs> that he didn't want to do um that he didn't want to do fish under 4D and I said are you sure she's like look it up and I looked it up and she was right. It was a different company. Oh, okay. She started a separate company for that. Okay. To do well, that, that also was- explains why Fish never came back for guest spots on Barney Miller after the show ended. I don't think he did, right? He, after he left, he came back twice. He did? But after Fish ended. No, I mean after Fish ended, you know. After Fish ended, he did come back one time. 
I did. I don't remember that. See, that's why I need to see all the episodes. I, yeah. I just thought, you know, it's like it's too bad his character was considered retired because, of course, he could just come back and be like, hey, how's it going? You know, or something. But, you know, what right. would he do? So maybe that's why they never brought him back. But, you know, I, I didn't realize he was also kind of difficult, I suppose. He came back yeah. the same season that he retired, season uh Four, and he helped them with this old guy who had buried his friend in Central Park and wouldn't tell them where he buried him. Oh, I kind of remember that. Okay, so I must that have was seen the that. first one. Then later he comes back in. I don't know if it was season five or six, but it was after. Might have been season six because Danny wasn't around. <laughs> <laughs> but he says in that episode, Wojo asks him something like, "How are the kid? You know, how's the stuff going with the kids?" Because he was running that. He and his wife were doing like this uh, youth house or whatever. Right. And he's like, oh, the city cut the funding for that. So we don't do that anymore. Huh. Maybe I so, didn't see that one. What happened in that episode? Anything? Um, <laughs> I, I'm trying to remember. Maybe what I missed that one. So, okay. It was, another, it was another one where he he somehow does. Oh, I know what it was. It was the one. It's the one with, speaking of Peggy Pope, Peggy Pope comes back. And she is angry because her husband is working at some facility where they're doing nuclear something or other. And she <laughs> thinks that's affecting his sex drive. <laughs> no one will help them. And uh, no one's, everyone's ignoring her. She thinks they're, they're trying to hide something. So she finally comes into the police station with a homemade bomb that she learned how to make from from reading a book uh yeah i don't remember that one at all so i must have missed it it was probably opposite the episode where fonzie was jumping the shark or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i don't know what was what was on Bar what was opposite barney miller back in those days do you remember i don't know i never watched okay. anything uh <laughs> But well, I mean, I used to know certain things like, uh, you know, it's like I knew Brady Bunch and Sanford and Son were always opposite because shows like that. I'd watch Brady Bunch in the fall when they went to reruns. I'd watch Sanford and Son. So, you know, I was but, I was I was basically the opposite. I watched Sanford first. Yeah. <laughs> I was a Sherwood Schwartz nut anyway. But uh, now Barney Miller was normally on Thursday nights. Thursday nights. That's yeah. right. Okay, I remember that. Okay, and it never shifted, or did they ever move it? Uh, I think there was there might have been one year or one half season where it was on Wednesdays. But that sounds familiar too. For yeah, the most yeah. part, it was pretty okay. much a Thursday yeah. night staple. Now they moved it around. It, it played. At different times, like eight, right, six, right. Nine, but nine, I remember six. Thursday night being that was the night with yeah. that. You know, the only yeah. other Thursday night show I can remember over time is like Welcome Back, Cotter, <laughs> and right. uh, Laverne Shirley was on there at some point. You know, and then of course years later, it's like Cosby Show and Simpsons and things like that. But that, you know, that's years later. But you know, during well, the um, uh, there was also the like two years time or maybe maybe all three I know, Mindy, I think. where it was Barney Miller at nine and soap at 9 30. Mm, soap yes that's right yeah yeah that was and they like shared yeah. they literally shared the the lot their their two sets backed up to one another oh I didn't know that okay yeah yeah so yeah. um and Danny Arnold's sons remember playing football in the parking lot 
with some of the cast of Welcome Back, Cotter. Hmm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what's which, which studio is this that they're shooting this then? They is were on... Oh, uh, oh shoot! You're supposed to say no. It was a precinct in New York. Come on, Mark. <laughs> no, <laughs> ruining, ruining to, the illusion here. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the. Um, oh my God, my friend, Sal Vescuzzo is going to be is if he when he hears this, he's going to be screaming that he's he's only said it to me <laughs> ten thousand times. Well, where was soap filled? <laughs> well, that's it. I'm saying it was the same place. <laughs> Oh my God! I'm I've never really thought about that. I mean, you know, I know things are, you know, just to kind of divert the subject. You know, things are shot in the Columbia Ranch, and you know, over the years and stuff. You know, and right. uh, Paramount Lot, and you know, Warner Brothers lots and stuff like that. But you know, yeah, oh, I honestly, I honestly never thought about it because you know, if it, it always seemed like uh, while you're thinking about it, it always seemed like Barney Miller was kind of its own thing. You know, and and I don't know if that's the reason why it's kind of not revered the same way because you got the big MTM empire and you got the big Norman Lear empire, and then you got just little also rands like, well, there's Barney Miller. It was on for a long time, it was good, and you know, and, the, and there was other shows like that too. But you know, I can't think of it off the top of my head. But you know that they were just kind of sandwiched in there, and they somehow survived for a number of years you know <laughs> so that was the thing it was you know he he back in those days you know danny was this small independent company mm-hmm. and it, it, it just you know and and he was you know tony sheehan told me something funny and that was um that after the show ended mm-hmm. and he i'm trying to remember it might have been when he was working for Dungan and Stein on um, on Mr. Belvedere, because because that was an ABC show as well. And when he was on there, he met or talked on the phone with uh, Marcy Carsey, mm-hmm. and she said, "You know, we were your um, we were like your contact people on Barney." Hmm. And you were he's like how come you never you know how come you never called me or came down and visited or anything like that and she said oh no we were told quite definitely that we were not allowed to to come on to the set uh <laughs> danny arnold would not allow any of us on the set hmm. so <laughs> he was he he wanted complete autonomy mm. um and they said he he would do things that you could never do you know uh, tony sheehan said he goes you know that was my first job yeah. out, of, out of college so he says i worked for danny for those seven years or whatever it was he said i thought that's how shows got made when i went out and started working in other places i realized that no other show was made like that <laughs> So he says it didn't really help me. <laughs> if anything, it hurt me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So okay. I want well, we to should start me, wrapping I, this I, up, but I have two questions left. Um, mm-hmm. so one is just uh so beyond the Hudson Street one with Gregory Sierra, uh did Danny Arnold do anything after that, or is pretty much Barney Miller his baby really and I'm just done? The, o- yeah. the only thing he did was um well he he was involved. You know, AES Hudson Street, I want to say, was 
77, I think. Yeah. And that failed. And then I don't know how many years it was later that they did something called STAT, which was basically AES Hudson Street, <laughs> but it was with a totally different cast. And I think it might have lasted a couple episodes more, maybe eight episodes. But again, it didn't take take it all. And then he did that Joe Bash. Right. But again, even Danny in an interview I heard with him in from 19, I think it was from 1988 or something. Um, he basically says, I can't do anything the way I want to do it anymore. Yeah. So he says, I'm still working on ideas. He says, but, you know, Joe Bass was not a great experience for me. And, and you know, Hal Linden said to me, he's like, well, sure. He says, again, just the amount of money alone that Danny spent on Barney <laughs> with the overtime and stuff like that. And remember back in those days, as I'm sure you already know, the networks were not allowed to own shows. Right. It was separate production companies, you know, and the network was just the, the distributor. Now the networks own their own shows. So yeah. forget it, you know. Right. Um, <laughs> so he kind of got he kind of got disenchanted with with that aspect yeah. of it. And not like I say, not to mention the fact that he had worked himself so hard. Right. You know, he died, I think he was only 70 mm. when he died. So he wasn't very old. Yeah. Uh, he passed away. Either. It sounded like he already had health problems if he's having the quadruple bypass. So yeah, it's yeah. surprising he lived that long in a certain respect. So it's like, well, I'm sure a yeah. lot of people were because a lot of people told me they said, "Oh, first of all, he had terrible eating habits. You know, <laughs> they, you'd see him eating handfuls of M and M's or handfuls of potato chips." Or hey, that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you better get right. <laughs> anyway. Um, and then, um, so that's the Danny Arnold story. So for your story, so you've written the Barney Miller book. Are there any other books for you in the future? Or are you contemplating? I, I certainly hope so. And maybe you, maybe you and I will have to talk uh, off, off, off the show because yes, I am having trouble right now trying to to determine and decide what I'm going to do next. I have yeah. numerous ideas. But, you know, Barney, I know it sounds so cliched, but Barney was really a passion project. You know, it was mm -hmm. it was something that was, uh, you know, just important to me. And um, and uh, I certainly uh, am uh, not going to make any money off of it. But, how, many, how many years did it take you to write it? Uh, all I mean, I didn't, wasn't working on it full time, but all told six years. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's, the that's book time, is. Yeah uh yeah hold it up <laughs> book, oh massive <laughs> book is 556 pages oh okay i don't know if you know Stu showstack <laughs> but i know of him yeah i've been on his show a couple times and you know it's like oh another doorstop you know that's what he loves to say <laughs> and i have a couple doorstop books too so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah so i have a lot of you know i definitely want to do more because I enjoyed doing it, you know, yeah. but I was just so passionate about it. Right. Now I'm trying to find something that will hold my attention and passion the same way. So right. hopefully I'll get there, you know. All right. 
my problem too is that, and I and I have to try to let go of this. I always assume if I know something, then everybody knows it. <laughs> and it's hard, you know, I have to kind of keep telling myself, well, no, I mean, guys like you know yeah. stuff, but not everybody is like you and I. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say, you probably asked some um, 20-something person, the average person, Barney Miller, what's that? <laughs> Not, you know, when was that or oh, how was that show? It's like, what's that? You know, they don't even know it's anything, you know. Right. Who is who is he? <laughs> it's like. Uh, right. Well, you know, it's funny. One of the places I went to try to, to, to set up a talk, you know, was my local library. Yeah. But the person who's in charge of, like, uh, you know, uh, scheduling these things or whatever <laughs> was a woman who was like in her thirties. Uh. <laughs> doesn't have any idea. You know, she wasn't interested because she doesn't know what the heck I'm talking about. You know, right. so, is is Barney uh, Miller even shown anywhere streaming or anything now, or is the only actually, way you can get right a DVD? Now it is streaming on uh, on Amazon. Oh, okay. I'll take yeah, a look. and I okay. do think it's on one of those other ones, either either. Got TV or me TV or something like that. Okay. It's probably uh, me TV. Sure yeah, I'll have to check that out. Okay. Because, yeah. um, you know, even though I still want the box set, regardless, I, you know, right. I like, you know, even though I own all these DVDs, occasionally if the show's on, I'll go, hey, you know, here's Dick Van Dyke sure. show here. I have the box set on that, but hey, I'll watch it here. You know, it's like, it's, hey, <laughs> last week I was just watching uh, some of the Bob Newhart shows with my son. I have them all on DVD. Right. <laughs> But it was on it was on the Hulu or something, and we were right. watching it. So right, I guess it's because we kind of grew up where hey, it's on, let's watch it. You know, it's like nowadays, you know, it's like everybody's like, oh, I can watch it whenever I want to, or I'll binge it all. And what you know, right. uh, is Barney Miller binge worthy? Let's ask that. That's the new question oh, for the new millennium. Okay, absolutely. Because some it? shows don't hold up, and you know, it's like so. If it's you know, it seems like it would be a good one to watch a few episodes at a time. You know, and just like yeah, you know. Now I'm going to say something that everyone listening will say. Well, sure, you wrote the guy wrote the book, so obviously you <laughs> say this. Yeah. I still watch episodes and I still laugh out loud. That's and my, my daughter has said to me, she's like, how many times <laughs> have you seen that episode? I said, I don't know, 14, 15 times, but it's, it's just they're so oh. good. Yeah. Um, when a show know, is good, it's good. I mean, it's like recently... Uh, Monty Python's Flying Circus came out on Blu-ray. I've seen him probably at least a dozen times each, if not more. I have episodes memorized, but it's like it was all pristine, and it was like watching a new show, and I was laughing all over again. So it's, yeah. it's you know, I'd probably do it again with Barney Miller. Uh, I've been watching Sanford and Son recently. I've been laughing all over again, you know, and it's and I go, I remember this episode from 1974 or whatever, you know, but I'm watching it and laughing all over again. So yeah, I should have worn my Sanford and Son. Yeah, I have a Sanford and Son. You dummy. <laughs> Uh, it's the one with Fred and and uh, Bubba where he says, "I want my daddy's records, the blind <laughs> mellow jelly records." <laughs> yeah, so no, it's definitely binge worthy by all means. All right, very good. And so the final final question I usually say is, um, you know, well, I was asking you what you're working on. You you're kind of stumped at the moment. We may we will talk 
we will talk off the record afterwards. Uh, but uh, are you doing any personal appearances? Are you uh, doing any other podcasts? Uh, do you have a website? Uh, how do people get in contact with you? The floor is yours. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I'm actually working on a website right now. So I don't have anything up yet on that. I'm on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm a, a Otto Bruno on Facebook, but I also have a, a radio show called Sinatra and Company mm-hmm. um, that I've done for about 12 years. I've done another one for 23 years at this jazz station here in Rochester, New York, where I live. Mm-hmm. So, um, but uh, yeah, I've done some. I've done some speaking engagements. Uh, I teach pop culture uh, classes here in uh, in Monroe County as well. And, um, you know, I've done some of the other podcasts. I've done, uh, uh, oh, God, what's the TV Guidance Counselor? TV Guidance Counselor. <laughs> and there is a Barney Miller podcast. Really? <laughs> um, two, with two guys named Mike White and Chris Stashew. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mike White has another podcast called um, The Projection Booth, and Chris has another one called Culture Cast. But they just started doing this Barney Miller podcast a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. so I've been on with them a couple times. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel bad because I know there was another podcast I was on too, and I can't remember which one it was now. I'm blanking. You've at been it. on TV Confidential. I know that's one. <laughs> I haven't been on that one yet. Um, I, have to I haven't either, but you, that's one I was thinking of since you've written a TV book. A lot of people right, get on that right. show. Yeah, or uh, even Stu's show. Stu's been, Stu might have you on that show. You know, well, so, maybe you can yeah. hook me up with yeah. Stu because I've, I've never actually met him or anything, but I, I we were fa- we are Facebook friends. But, um, All right, cool. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, we're, we're, we're I just got to glom on to that next thing, man. Exactly, <laughs> And then uh, as far as the Barney Miller book, it's published by Bear Manor. Uh, where where can you get it? Yeah, you can get it from Bear Manor Media. You can get it from Amazon. You can get it from uh, Barnes and Noble. And uh, up to this point, actually, I'm. it's funny. I, I am should be getting this week, I think, uh, the figures for the first quarter to see how well it's been selling. But from, from people who have reached out to me, uh, it feels like it must be doing pretty well because a lot of people have said they've read it. And I'm, you know, I, sh- I shouldn't say this as an author, but I was <laughs> happily shocked by how good all the reviews were from people. So, I mean, I say that only because I I've been writing freelance for 20 years, but I never published a book before. It was all articles and things like that. I see. So, um, so this was really uh, gratifying that, you know, so many people liked it. It's also available in all formats: a paperback, hardback, and no back, no ebook. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know if he's got it out in ebook yet. Okay, I, yeah, I mean, he tends to delay. Ben, ben Ben used to put them out at the same time, and then he realized everybody just buy the ebook version, so he kind of delays on that one. So right. if it's if it's not out yet on ebook count yourself lucky because then you get more hard copy or softback oh, okay. <laughs> but you know he'll let you know or you can let him know it's like if it's been like you know when did it come out it just came out in i think um may okay so usually waits about a year you know before he yeah. puts it out in the other form you know so you know you can request it or he'll say 
hey, um, do you want to put out the ebook? And you say, yeah, okay. You know? <laughs> right. like, but what? So. But I ask you, what yeah. kind of Christmas present is an ebook? You want right. to have you want to have that book under the under the tree for dear old dad's Christmas. <laughs> and if they get in contact with you, you can sign something, right? You know, you can figure oh, out. Right. Yeah. You yeah. can't sign an ebook, folks, you know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So. Not only that, but yeah, the <laughs> is my son, uh, my son just because again, I'm not a I'm not a very technically uh adept person. He just got me set up on PayPal. So if people want to, you know, they can contact me on Facebook and um uh, you know, I, I I can sell them a book as well. Yeah, that's uh, what I, I might, do with mine. I so, might yeah. even be able to sell it to them at a discount and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, sign it and send it to them. Sure. Okay. All right. Well, I thank you, Otto, for being guest on Fund Ideas Podcast. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. We it can have you fun. back and we could just shoot the breeze about any sitcom because obviously we went off topic a few times which is cool you know i just always reel it in after a while you know it's like uh, i love talking about television all right uh so um until next time that wraps it up again it's a pleasure having you on the show auto and you. that uh wraps up another episode of the fun ideas podcast and we'll see you next time thank you for listening and thank you auto bruno for being my special guest Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 190 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2022. Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night. Mutant sex monsters rise up.